This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Let's do this bad boy. Oh shit, I, I, thought, I thought we already started, so I was like saying all that cheesy shit. Alright, we'll get going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that in. I'm keeping that in to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me today is a man who really is curating and cataloging some of the best work on the internet together and in the absolute maelstrom of shit that is twitter uh, there are some wonderful accounts that emerge and one of them is curated very carefully and hilariously by my current guest Uh, his name is joe grabinski but you would know him much better um, from his absolutely insanely just consumable Amazon Movie Reviews, um, which is A-M-Z-N Movie R-E-V-W-S. And his pinned tweet says it all. A review of The Wolf of Wall Street. He captured someone who said, there were no wolves in this movie. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's a very, uh, that's a very kind uh, introduction, Blake. I'm, I am a huge fan of your podcast. I've listen to 50 to 60 episodes so it's very flattering to be on here and i appreciate the kind words you are welcome mate thank you so much i mean look you know in the words of marie kondo there are very few things that spark joy on the internet and especially twitter and your um (laughs) and your and your tweets definitely spark joy on both letterboxd and uh and particularly on on the twitter sphere so if you guys haven't had a chance i'll be linking it all to the episode but joe and i have been communicating for some time trying to get him on the show and uh, and i'm glad that he's here finally for the 140th minute of Michael Mann's absolutely 1995 crime episode. Holy shit, Joe! Holy shit! Hell, hell yeah! I mean, I have so much. Um, the reason it took me so long to get on this podcast is I did one myself and got burnt out after 25 episodes. So I have the utmost admiration for what you are doing. <laughs> I mean, the, pe- pe- people don't realize they just listen to the podcast, but. The you know the twenty exchanges with your guest, scheduling things, uh, prepping, recording, editing. I mean, it is absolutely exhausting. So you're doing quite a service to the film fan, you know, film fandom universe by doing this. So I, I genuinely want to thank you for what you're doing. Oh, you're welcome, mate. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. Now, look, that's way too much nicety that we that we're used to on this show. <laughs> so um, what we've got to get into is the hundred and fortieth minute of michael mann's 1995 crime opus heat um i'm going to dive into that with joe right now you guys are going to listen along we're going to watch it together and then we're going to come back and unpack it for you Yeah, what do you got? Nothing's happening. 
Yeah. Hello, Miss Vincent. What do you got? Nothing's going on. Wango went for ice. That's it. That is the minute I watched, so I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> you just you just stumbled into one of the most devastating minutes of this entire movie. It ruins that's me when I watch that minute. That's the second word I had written down in my notes here. And the first word was sheer, sheer devastation. Um, can I, without taking us off track, give a brief summation of why I why I think this film works, which I think will lead well into our minute, or should I save that? No, no, let's go um, right in. Let's let's ju- let's jump right in. So, w- real quick, let me give you a summation of why I why this film works for me. Um, this is the fourth time I've seen it. I saw it once when it came out in ninety, or I saw it in about nineteen ninety nine on DVD when I was about fifteen years old. Saw it about three years ago. Thought it was fantastic. I've always been a Michael Mann fan, but primarily Manhunter and Miami Vice. But upon this, these viewings, I was really struck by, let me give you an example of some characters in this film. We have a husband who has a gambling problem. We have a mom who doesn't pay attention to her child. We have a husband who focused on his work. We have a woman who loves her husband, but he's out of control. A lonely woman attracted to a mysterious, powerful man and a teenager desperate for her parents' attention. We also have a man who made some poor decisions in his past who can't get ahead in life because of those poor decisions. So I'm done summarizing some of the characters. But if I just told you about those characters, you wouldn't think we're talking about an epic film with high-stakes heists, with a professional thief, with a cocaine-fueled robbery homicide detective you would not think that and when you're when you're watching heat every single one of these characters is relatable to each one of us as individuals who have not been in these situations and to me i just can't think of any other movie where every single one of those things is just a heightened version of things we all deal with and it just struck me upon this viewing or upon these viewings just how powerful i related to seven different characters in this movie. <laughs> yes. I mean, and I don't know I don't know if this has been touched on in episodes. I, I it's probably been touched on to varying degrees, but um well, I mean, would you agree with that assessment? Oh, 100%. Well, I mean, you, you know, I think that you're just you're peeling back the layers of what the artifice is, right? So like with Michael Mann, what's so great about the descriptions that Joe you just went through is Michael Mann's dealing with the archetypes, you know, he's got to he's got to have the good guy, he's got to have the bad guy, but he he's he's so uh he's so much more interested in how he can craft their humanity that then they just sort of completely, they completely sort of transcend that, you know, genre tag. They move into this, you know, this is a guy, this is a real guy who's got a gambling addiction and he's got a young family and he's trying to deal with like his wild side and actually settling down. And, and, and you start to, when you break it down, I think that that's exactly, you know, that's the, um, that's the archeology span of this, exercise it's like digging under like what is the what what are these things and why are we so why are we so relating to these characters what do we care so much about every decision good or bad that they make in this movie and what's the art how how artful is it to be a filmmaker and a creative that knows to plant the seeds of both of these got like both these kinds of people on either side of this journey so that 
at no point are you feeling like, oh, well, there's the bad guy. Who cares about him? Or, you know, the good guy's an asshole. I don't, I don't really want him to catch our bad guy. I like the bad guy better. You're so invested deeply in every character. 100%. And it just, I was just so struck by that because I'm not normally relating to characters. I mean, we can't relate to being, hopefully, you know, cocaine, robbery, homicide guys. <laughs> or we can't, we, you can't relate to that, but you can relate. And, and leading into the scene here, if you don't mind me starting out on this scene. No, let's go. Um, you immediately just see the, the realization and the devastation on the faces of Charlene and Chris, uh, Ashley Judd and Val Kilmer's faces, if I have their character names correctly, um, they just have this sudden, the, the look on their faces of the magnitude of what just happened to them. And when you, it cuts to Val Kilmer, immediately a few seconds afterwards, you just see his, it's like he's reliving his entire relationship in that moment. In those three seconds, he's reli- reliving his entire um, you know, they say the lot your life flashing before your eyes, but you just see him, the magnitude of his decisions and where he's at. And I believe normally in relationships, um, you don't have a boom, a moment where everything's done. You know, it, you, you see a lot, you, there's a, a progression maybe over years or over months. And who, I think reconciliation very well may have been possible for these two but they both just instantly realized that this was over, that they were not going to have an opportunity to, re- to reconcile. And to me, it's just such a powerful moment. It's like I feel like the slate was probably uh, the slate was clean for the two of them after this traumatic instance. You know, like they're like, oh, we can get past our differences but they're not going to have that opportunity. No. And that's what I felt in that moment. I, I, I totally agree. I think what's what's greater about what focusing in on what you said, Joe, about Chris is there have been a couple of scenes preceding this where Charlene has been grappling with knowing that this moment is coming. So she's kind of like in her own way, she's still negotiating, but she kind of knows the bomb that she's about to throw in Chris's lap. And what's so wonderful about Kilmer's performance, again, you know, there's a reason he's the third lead of this movie, is that you can drop this atomic bomb in, on him and watch him just, like like he said, he kind of melts away. Like his whole life is just like, he's, he's, left, Neil for, he's left Neil to get Charlene and Charlene is ensnared in this trap and he knows that he's put her there and his son. And he just has to, he just processes it. And that sort of melancholic, you know, music that's playing over the scene, the deep blue as you're just sort of swarming into his face, the camera's just right there, this weird sort of dark reflection in his, uh, as he's driving. It's such an amazing scene. It's like one of those things that you just want to, you want to just play on repeat just to like examine every one of his facial tics and his eyes. And it's just, oh, it's just tremendous stuff. Like him at that, you know, you talked about, um, just when we were kicking off the show, you talked about you're on a Batman Forever podcast, and I think you're you're, no, you're the most equipped person in the world to speak about the guy who went from Batman Forever and then into Heat. It's amazing. This was my exact next point that I was just thinking of on the fly. Is um, in discussing Batman Forever, uh, Val Kilmer had the most. I, I adore Val Kilmer, but he just had the most bland performance and we and we talked in batman forever and we talked about that that had to have been an intentional choice because he is too good of an actor i don't believe i i never believe that that was an unintentional thing and and we were grappling as to what that choice was 
But he was doing pre-production on Heat, or not pre-production, but he was, like we've talked about in previous episodes, gun training and things like that during the filming of Batman Forever. And I, I will go out on a limb here, but I want to say those three to five, ten seconds of Val Kilmer in that car are perhaps the best performance of the film. <laughs> those, how much he captures without saying a word, you're looking at his his expressions, his eyes, his face. Watch that those few seconds, and and tell me there's a better few seconds in the film uh, of a performance. It's it, it conveys a a lifetime of information, I believe. I think I think it's so good, and I I don't want to tread on other minutes, but I would say like right now, up until this moment, there's not a better moment in the film as far as performance. And what is so it's tre- amazing. What is so tremendous though. Is that we're about to we're about to go into what what is arguably one of the greatest close ups ever in minute one hundred and forty seven. So only really seven minutes away of De Niro in the car in the tunnel, you know, watching yes. him how how he does that. And then and and a lot of people ask me, you know, a lot of people have got a lot of things to say about this period of Al Pacino's career and his performance. And I always point them to the final moments of this movie, and I'm like, tell me that this guy's face conveying again the magnitude of the emotions that are you know culminating in this final showdown and and sort of having to meet you know meet the most perfect person for him in the whole universe and then kill him it, you know it, he outperforms like there's like three whole movies worth of great performance in, in just like 12 seconds of close up yes <laughs> it's and just, i it just they, they they I think it's like exponentially just gets more powerful and you forget until you're breaking the minutes down like this you're like oh in ten minutes time there's another one of these and then in another twenty like fifteen minutes there's another one like it's just crescendo after crescendo incredible stuff and I recall in your Bill Duke's episode where he talked about the acting isn't the lines it's the reacting it's the silent moments yes and I just think of so many moments in this film just De Niro. Um, times when he's not talking. I mean, the the amount of volume that's captured when these characters aren't speaking is is unrivaled. So, and even Charlene um, at the beginning of this scene, like again, like yes. a, it's like a. And this is why I think you're right. You're so right about this minute, the magnitude of this minute. That you know, you're, to quote you, that sheer devastation is because it's so rare in a movie. You know, you, you see it in a lot of, you know, conversational two shots. You know, someone will say something or they'll say something at the, the most higher level of emotion. It even happens in this movie. You know, Justine has some great um, – uh, Justine and Vincent have some great um, back and forth uh, where, you know, really heightened levels of emotion and really deep dramatic stuff. But here you literally get the magnitude baton passing. Like you see the realization on Charlene's face and then it just gets – completely magnified at the in the transition directly to chris so it's like it's so rare to see these two like having to just like you said they've got to be discreet because they right now they're the only two people in the universe who know that they had to make this sacrifice to cut loose and they go from they go from expressions of utter relief to terror to dev- I mean, it's just, and it's, and and they exactly embody the feelings you, as an audience member, are feeling at that moment. So it's like, it's given me a new appreciation for, <laughs> for each one of those actors and for Michael Mann. So it's it, it's so rare, man. I don't, and this is the thing is, 
you know, uh, it, it is a brave, you know, it is a brave actor's director that just makes that mounts the pressure to say i need you to carry the weight of you know these i know what the emotional resonance you know the emotional trajectory needs to be of this scene and we potentially and in a lot of cases in heat there's been times where like if you look at like the third draft of the script just before the shooting script there's more dialogue in a lot of scenes there's like a line here there's Mm. something there and it's like the bravery or the I don't know, just the awareness to just go, no, we're going to peel it back. We're going to take that line out and we're just going to make you convey something. We're not going to let you say a word. We just want you to convey those emotions. And then these guys and, and gals, you know, these terrific performers having the, the the savvy sort of performance and being right there in, in that character to just go, here it is, and just unleash. Amazing stuff. Really amazing. All, all, all powerhouses. And I had a few other things in the minute. I don't want to diverge us. Two more. Can I hop into one one thing more in the next? Please scene do. Here? Please do. Please do. That that was a bad transition, but you know, <laughs> I did I did my best. What in the very next moment, something really uh, blows my mind. You cut to uh, is it Vincent Hanna? Yes. It, Al Pacino's character. He's kind of calling in to check in and see what's going on with the Wayne Gross situation. If mm. Neil is. You know, if they have any signs of Neil looking for Wangro. And in the very the very first person he calls, it's a hotel clerk who answers and says, you know, no updates here. Pacino lays down the phone, calls somebody else. It's those people on the video monitor. No progress. Nothing's happening. And I, in my first three viewings of this, I had no, no awareness that the hotel clerk is the same hotel clerk that five minutes later is the one who's <laughs> suspicious of De Niro. Yes. In my prior viewings, I thought we just had a hotel clerk, you know, seeing De Niro coming into the hotel. We're talking five to ten minutes later into the movie. And I thought he was just like a manager who was suspicious. Like, is this, this isn't one of my employees. And the beauty of this is that I do not believe anybody on first viewing would make the connection no. that that was the person that Pacino was talking to earlier. It's just it's just one of those background things in a movie that you never you don't care who the gist of the scene is Pacino. There's no progress, not who he's talking to on the phone. Yes. And I don't think if you ever broke a movie down, unless you broke this down to a minute by minute basis, you would really ever notice that it's just it's just like a seemingly inconsequential thing. And that's an example of the type of detail that's like layered throughout this film. Yes. And, and um, it's so funny that you said that is because until about three viewings or four viewings of, uh, in this project o- overall that I didn't realize it. So very recently I just recorded that like the hundred and I think it's the, uh, I'll go to the exact episode, but it's like the 151st minute. Um, oh, sorry, the 150th minute is exactly 10 minutes later um, uh, that Jordan Harper and I are going to talk about on a future episode. We talk about this guy, like that being De Niro being spotted by that guy and how tense that moment is, you know, him using the mag light to sort of you know, scratching his head, moving his face away. He's in the uniform. Everything looks prim and proper and pressed and the cop sort of lets him go. But it's it's um, yeah, I, it's it's so hard to notice. But also here, I love that like, we Vincent did a great job earlier when he was talking to Casals of like setting up the noose, setting up the trap that he was trying to like make ready. And so, you know, you look at it in great movies where it's a literal trap and it's like, 
like predator where you watch someone you know put up this big thing and you're and you're just waiting for the the beast to to snare it and in this movie he's like vincent's so quick to go well i've lost one thing like this was one part of the trap that didn't that didn't work and he immediately picks the phone up and there's just such a natural thing of like when you're pissed off and you're making phone calls and you don't want to show your emotions he turns his back i know it's a more cinematic thing but he turns his back on the whole office and everyone is waiting in bated breath at his back and he's like making those calls what's happening what's happening yes and both the times it's just disappointment and i think that what's cool about this minute is that you kind of get a sense that when charlene cuts chris loose essentially um in this moment you get a feeling that vincent's going to come up trumps on both those other things on the phone so it's kind of you're already kind of getting a you're going oh shit now it's all falling apart again these guys are going to get away it's just another little uh, another little rug pull for us thinking that vincent had them and now he doesn't absolutely and yeah that's a, that's a very good point cuz i mean us as an audience are pretty much convinced at that point and this isn't like really a realization you'd have i don't know if this is the point you're making but val kilmer or chris is free yes you know we as a, we as an audience know he's free and that almost like raises the stakes now for the rest of the film that like neil is the last is the last one yeah. you know what i'm saying and it felt all but certain that chris was going to get trapped so like the whole time we've been watching in this moment in the preceding moments are like chris is gone he has no hope a haircut ah oh, surely someone's going to pick him up and it was just yes. like that confluence of like slightly lacking attention to detail cops and just like trusting an id or whatever you know, he just gets through. He, he escapes the trap and all the stakes are like, well, Charlene's done because she's lied and she's going to get caught. Dominic is going to go to this Gladiator Academies in Chino. Everyone is going to be screwed here. But in this moment, it's like once he's free, you're like, oh, shit, they can be free? Like they can they can escape? Like that doesn't make any sense yes. in, in, the, in the realm of what we've come to accustom with, those sort of cops and crooks. One more trivial, worthless question for you. I want your opinion. Is that hotel clerk an undercover um, police officer? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay. One of and my see, friends. One of my friends. One of my friends made a joke that um, all LA cops need a second job because it's so expensive. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. But yeah, he very well may be an employee there too, and that to me is that to me is fascinating because if you don't make the connection, which you never would unless you watch this numerous times and on a minute by minute basis. You would just think that was a suspicious hotel clerk, but it's actually a police officer. Yes. And to me, that's just fascinating. And that uh, I don't know that it really means anything, but it's really cool that there's this layer of detail of things that you could conceivably never notice. And you would not. You would have no reason to think it's a police officer if you didn't see him making the call to him earlier. Yes. So. And sometimes you just don't put it together. You're like, oh, I know that phone call happens. I know Vincent's made this phone call a hundred times. And it's only when you really scrutinize the guy's face, you're like, oh, it's the same guy. Because Absolutely. in the Vincent phone call that we've just seen in this minute, he feels like a lot less menacing. But in that moment when he's got the shotgun framed right next to him and you know that there's the consequences yes. of the gun, it's like, God, this guy looks intense. Like his stare is just daggers. And like you can tell that he's just probing, throwing daggers out there just to see if, if it could be this guy that he's been waiting with bated breath to make this you know, to make this thing happen. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those great, one of those great things. And again, like you said, attention to detail, who cares? Like in a lot of movies, there's carelessness, but in this, it's like perfection. It's just nails it. I've, I've tried, I've tried on every 
viewing of this to find a weak spot. And I listened to your episode where you were talking about just, just, I just to feel better about the world. I wanted to find one false step in this movie. <laughs> and I, and, and I listened to your episode where you're talking about uh, Henry Rollins and Al Pacino. I was thrilled when I heard that episode. When we talked about, you could see the seams of maybe seeing a stuntman. Yes. So on this watch, I was trying to find the stuntman, but I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I, there's a few borderline suspect performance issues on some fringe characters, but not enough. And I just, I can't find a fault in this film yet. So, you know, I, I've been trying. So maybe... If I haven't seen it by now, I won't find one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's crazy, Joe, is that this exercise, and this is one thing that a lot of folks ask me when they do the show and a lot of people listening sort of wonder is, you know, is there a moment that after watching this movie, you know, so many times as part of the preparation, diving into so many minutes with so many people, is I then am just flabbergasted. Like when I see movies yeah. come off seamlessly, other movies, they're so impressive. Like you just go, wow, someone took a lot of attention to detail here and a lot of great scripting and didn't, wasn't too prescriptive with performance, let their actors do their thing. And so when you see really impressive movies now, I'm like even more impressed because, you know, under the scrutiny that this movie had, that we've taken this movie through, you get it. But when you see bad movies and bad choices and like really constrictive dumb plot lines and lack of detail and anything that makes you as an audience member feel stupid i've just this movie has made me like i'm like wango like i'm like i guess psychopathic i'm just like yes you're like do you fuck you want to fuck with me like i'm like putting the gun to the movie's head before it's over because i just can't it's so great because this movie character for character pound for pound every minute has something wonderful like something worth really that's really satiating and satisfying in every minute and some things that make you deeply uncomfortable like you know you're really devastated you're really uncomfortable you really you're disturbed you know it's it's a, a you know it's a incredible incredible feat uh, minute after minute after minute to do it and i knew that's why you struggled so much with den of thieves and that makes so much more sense to me now <laughs> yes. because i i liked that movie because i had not seen heat for 3 years before that i'd only seen <laughs> heat twice before and i that the second i heard that episode i'm like oh this motherfucker he's seen heat 50 times <laughs> of course of course he's not going to enjoy den of thieves cuz if if you're looking Den of Thieves is a type of movie where you're just ignoring all, you know, the 20 to 30 missteps. <laughs> I'm being generous. Whereas there's not a single one in Heat. And I don't believe I don't believe it's fair to compare other movies to Heat basically because you're talking about a film that had 6 months of, 6 months of pre pre-production, 50 to 60 locations, a 107 day shoot, a 100 million dollar budget in today's dollars. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, look, that's look, not... I, I think it's I think it's totally fair. I think it's totally fair for you to say. And a couple of things I'll just say. Number one, I've seen Heat like 200 times. There's not 50. It's like more. It's probably be like 300 times. Number. number... I should know that. By now. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was just gonna say. And also, you know, with minute after minute of this movie, you scrutinize it. So where some filmmakers might be like. They think they're taking inspiration and they're like, oh, let's take structural cues or whatever. However they built it, I can see – I see all the scaffolding. Like I just see straight through it and I'm like and – I, and, I, and I see the differences. And if the differences don't like help expand – because this one the great thing about Michael Mann's work is he's fascinated with obsessives. He's fascinated with people who have got weird morals based on their professions, like who are willing to, to, to basically forego – 
natural senses of what morality is for their profession. And he essays that in a whole stack of movies. And, you know, the, the very best of those are, you know, the very best in my mind are like Heat. And, you know, if you're talking more of his crime films, you know, Heat, Miami Vice, Manhunter, all phenomenal, like, essays of similar concepts. Um, and, I, and I just think when someone's got a chance to be inspired by Heat, um, if they're not doing more with it, and I feel like they're making it more reductive. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, 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 I have agree. a weird ownership. Whereas, like, there are great movies. Like, if you watch Brick, Brick, you know, Ryan Johnson talked about it afterwards. He's like, yes. it's the high school version of a Maltese Falcon. I'm like, that is so smart. Like, he just took the concept and had to retrofit it into a high school in his hometown. And it just works. Like, it just updates. It just works. It's brilliant. And those two things can exist in the universe without, you know, and they can complement one another and you can feel happy about them existing in the universe. And one more thing I want to say without belaboring it, and this will be a weird point, but I got to visit L.A. two weeks ago and be on the set of my brother's directorial debut. Oh, and it was amazing. the greatest, greatest, greatest experience of my life, hands down, and I'll never be able to replicate it, but... On set, I watched them for two hours do 10 meticulous takes of one shot. And when you see how much goes into every single choice of a film, I believe a film, you know, the exercise of breaking a film down on a minute-by-minute -minute basis doesn't necessarily matter what the film is, but when you get to do it with a film like Heat, you can extrapolate that exercise to viewing other films and watching them on a moment-by-moment, shot-by-shot basis. Um, I, don't, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what my point is I'm getting at here, but I mean, just these films, films deserve to be treated. And, and do, what, listening to your podcast and doing this, it's an exercise that I can take to other films. Yes. You know, because and, and, it's so easy to just you know, just have it on in the background, but you can really just sit and appreciate every shot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and it's I, giving I, me, it's giving me a tool to analyze <laughs> films in that fashion. Oh, thank you. And I think that that's the aspiration of the project, right? It's because, and this is what I find like great reviewers, you know, um, one, you know, there have, I've spoken to so many on this show. Um, I've been blessed to speak to Matt Zolazites and Nola Dargis multiple times. And, um, and, but, you know, a reviewer that just springs to mind that you're talking about those, you know, moments to savor or single elements, you know, there's people like Walter Shaw as well who are writing just incredibly at the moment. And I think it's about, it's about how you tackle those savory elements for you. What are those things that like in the middle of a movie, in the middle of an experience, in a fleeting moment, um, you know, I, I really jive with, even if I don't agree with their opinions, I really jive with critical minds who like tackle an element or tackle a tact or tackle a theme or whatever, just something that really jives with them or doesn't or grates the living daylights out of them. But also there are so few movies like in the content, you know, epic sort of content shitstorm that we're in right now it's just so many things to watch you i think those movies that have a, that that cut through the the lure of like a million things and like make you want to rewatch them are worth your time to like examine and they deserve all of that like little bit of extra love because you know there's been so many movies i've been i'm like you know pursuing you know life as a film critic or at least you know trying to in in what that means in the modern world right um for about close to 10 years and uh maybe a little longer and um what one thing that has struck me is like 
I've gone to film festivals and I've watched new films and I've watched, you know, everything. And I've lost faith in cinema more times than anyone else. As, as critics do, you cinephile, you watch movies. Sometimes you have a bad run and just nothing jives and everything feels trite. And then I come home and how I cured myself is this movie. I'd watch it. I believe it. And you just go, oh, that's why I like this. That's why I'm a cinephile. That's why I love movies because they can be like this. They can be perfect. Uh, and that's the same experience I've had listening to your podcast and watching this damn movie. It's like, it's refresh. <laughs> it's refreshing. And you only a few times a year. Last year, you got Mandy and Annihilation. There's, you know, this only happens so many times. But I didn't want to be one of your 40-minute episodes. And I realize <laughs> I'm approaching that. And I know you have to do 170 of these. So <laughs> this was... Uh, this was so much fun for me, and I'm, you know, very happy I got to do it as you're approaching the finish line. So, look, guys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up now, just to to, th- to thank Joe for his time, and because you know we've got other folks who are trying to break the records of the longest episodes when they come on, like Travis Woods from Brightwall. <laughs> um, I love you, Trav. We're gonna he's gonna be back on the show, and, and he'll probably try and break his own record. But look, um, guys, if you want to follow Joe um, at Drogobinski on Twitter or Amazon Reviews. Just search Amazon Reviews. Um, that's 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 his bread and butter, cracking people up um, pretty much every day. Um, and uh, so amazing stuff there. Thank you so much, mate. This has been a pleasure. Guys, thank you for listening to the show. There is only, oh my God, 25 episodes left to go um, uh, before we hit the ending. And it's just minute for minute, pound for pound, this movie just does not relent. And uh, the tragic fallout is just unbelievable. So I can't wait for you guys um, to, to join us on that. Joe, thank you for being a supporter and all of your positivity. I love it. Thank you, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, guys, Garth Franklin, thank you for our web design, as always. Mr. Paul Davies for our theme. And uh, let's just... Uh, catch that magnitude of Val Kilmer's stare and think about it as we end this episode and we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner.